Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka, welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in studio today in Johannesburg is South Africa's Deputy Minister of Telecommunications and Postal Services, Mistela Tembisa Ndabeni Abrahams. She previously served as the Deputy Minister of the Department of Communications from 2014 to 2017. She has been a member of several portfolio committees, including Communication and Defence, and has been a member of Parliament since 2009. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Amalka, and yes, of course, allow me to pass greetings to the listeners wherever they are. We are very happy that you have uh, taken some time out of your busy schedule to join us today. And to begin with, I'd like to ask, you've served South Africa for many years with a strong focus in the information, technology, communications domain, which, let's face it, is a significant portfolio in today's digital age. Can you share with us a few of the landmarks in your career and if there are any specific milestones that you want to achieve in the role? Well, Dr. Malka, the first thing is that I, when I got appointed it in 2011, that was for the first time, the department then was the, a single department, not like now we've separated Department of Communications and Department of Telecommunications. The first thing when I came on board, very interesting, I was young, fresh, I'm nervous of course, but the first thing that I realized, of course, because of my background, I'm a village girl, was the fact that, you know, we have not managed to reach out to those poor, disadvantaged young girls on the villages. Rural communities. Yes, the rural communities. So when we looked into the obligations that were supposed to be implemented by the mobile operators, I identified a gap. In one of those obligations was the fact that the mobile operators must connect about 1,500 schools to provide internet. But the gap in that was that there was no technology except the, con the, the connectivity. So I was like, well, how are they going to access this internet? Because you just put a dongle there and then they don't have phones, they don't have laptops. So that, that was the first gap. So we had to work towards that. I had to. Con I remember I spent my first six months engaging with them until they agreed that we must provide the, 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 the total package that tablet or that laptop with educational content now so i had to meet different stakeholders to say how do we make sure that we bridge that digital divide that is between the rural communities and the urban that was the first thing i got so excited was like oh, wow i managed to do something that people every time they talk about they'll be thinking about Stellander and Abraham. it matters and it provides a full service solution not a piece not where a piece, someone yeah. else has to try to figure it out Th that was it so, of course, as I said, the, the sector is very challenging because, especially when we came in, it was so male-dominant. I don't want to talk about black Africans, of course, because it has always been minority-dominated, not just male-dominated. So the minute you come in there, you know how males are at times. They never take us serious because also as females at times, we doubt ourselves. When you're appointed a deputy minister or into whatever position as a woman, the first thing people raise, does she have capacity? Don't ask me where do males buy capacity from. Because we go to the same schools, we do the same things, but when it's a woman, people tend to doubt capacity. So I had that challenge. I'm the woman, I'm young, I'm black in this sect. So I had to make sure that whilst they're busy focusing on my looks, 
I work on the content. What is it that they must listen to? Because I had to understand their story in order for me to make my own story. So that I got lots of people. Fortunately, I received lots of support, including from Parliament. I remember the chairperson of the Portfolio Committee then was Eric Colwani, who was very supportive because he has been into communications before me, although he was on the parliamentary side. When I came to the department, I was like, I want people to teach me. I'm here to learn. I'm not an expert in the field. That's when I decided to enroll with VITS to say, how do we empower ourselves? Because I cannot be able to provide oversight on something that I don't know of. I wanted to make sure by the time they come and give me an advice, at least I have a clue. So, of course, as I said, I received lots of support in the industry. As from then, we went to elections 2014. I had to abandon that department because now there was a split. So I went to the Department of Communications, which currently deals with broadcasting, as you know, and print media. So I went to that site and government communications. So it was almost one was the infrastructure space and the other is the, the content. Yes, right now, currently that's what is happening. So, but even when you go to the Department of Communications, as you know, these things are interlinked. Of course, we're using the because same infrastructure. my people couldn't get communication if there's no platform. Exactly. So I had to remain within the sector. I had to kept on, keep on explaining to people that, yes, but although we are focusing on this, but also this is important, which was also something that now gave me a focus on the challenges on the broadcasting side not just now the infrastructure side, but on the broadcasting side, the regulations that are there, the licenses that we issue, we also managed at least to, to introduce uh, a concept document on, on support for community broadcasters. What is it that we give support? Because it's not enough for us to just give you equipment, give you license, and we think you will be the best in the industry. As much as we have the passion, there are other elements because, as like I said, how are you going to sustain that and all those? So it, it taught me a lot going to the print media again it came with its own dynamics being in the new era of democracy this is how we expect things this is how others understand they must do work without us as government wanting to take control but just to say i always told the industry when i met with them we don't expect you to take out anything or to sugarcoat we expect you to tell the stories as they are but the example i used to make was that it can never be correct that you only report that my department, there was corruption, 700,000 corruption, whereas we have, did not tell, tell people that when I went to the budget vote, I made a commitment that we're going to support 50 small businesses with 700,000. And then in the process of implementing that, somebody became corrupt. So you're just taking the last end of it without giving proper information. So that's one thing that we used to argue about. Which I understand you have to chase your scoops, but give people information. It's that's a, why we exist. Truth. And if you think this is why we're in this era of fake news, where things have been taken out of context, it spreads disproportionately, and the wrong message is, is spreading. And received, yes. And as, as we're busy talking about that on that note of the fake news post, Dominantly, you find that on the digital communication. So there was the emergence of, of social media, people getting those, which is what I refer to as the drive-through recipe, whereby you can't even check, you know, when you're ordering your food from McDonald's on the drive-through, you just tell, this is what I want, and they're given a package, you check it at home or on the way if you're eating, you don't check it instantly. Therefore, if somebody posts something, you take it as is. You don't know it's true or not. So those were the things that we have to be careful about, that as reporters, because you'll discover that even broadcasters and print media, they just take those from Twitter. Somebody posted this, and therefore it becomes a headline without verifying. Now, the dangers that 
posed to the society because at times you find that no, no, that's a gossip paper. I can listen to them. So those are the things that we say, how do we make sure that those communication practitioners are trained even in this digital environment for them to understand the importance of ethics in that? That that was a challenging environment. It still is, as as I said and it's earlier. it's still new. It's still new. It's going to take a lot of time, of course. But one thing that I like, Doc, is the fact that at least as government, we are determined that the only way for us to be able to survive and use the digital setup that is 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 we are upon is when we skill our people. Yes. And we get to talk to each other. And on the, the skills note, how do we ensure that women won't get left behind in this technology economic revolution, particularly as Fourth Industrial Revolution is coming through. And as you said, you can't apply 19th century practices to a 21st century world. We, we require new skills, new demands, new functions. One of the things that we had to do was to make sure that we, we forge partnerships first with women's organization. There's the women's sector in terms of, of the South African Communications Forum but we also reach out to those that are outside that forum. We introduced a program. In the department, we have a branch that is dealing with women and youth issues in terms of technology. So we introduced a program whereby we empower the girl child to say, go there, be a web developer, be a programmer, because most people, they tend to think these things are meant for males. So the only way to do that is to expose them to that. So we identified group of girls in different schools to say, okay, we're going to partner with different organizations in ensuring that you get to be exposed to the information, but you get to do the work so that we can see what is it that you're capable of. Because one of the mistakes that we make is, is to tend to think that career guidance can only be effectively achieved when you start at grade 12. It doesn't work like that. You've got to make sure that as they're in grade 8, you are there to guide them, because that's where the subject combination choices are made. So if you are certain that I want to build women in this sector, you've got to start them at, at, at that route. And when you consider, I, you know, I, I think that from a, a tech point of view, this is another language. And for Definitely. people to become proficient in a language, they need to start young. Definitely. In the first stage, together with CETA, our state-owned entity, we had to say, because even through the CSI, we have not been coordinating each other. We were like, you know this thing of just doing hit and run. You train them and you leave them. You don't make follow-up. You don't know if they are channeled through or you just give bursaries, but you don't follow up. We said, let's make sure. We identify particular schools. We establish a center there. We help them with, math- with mathematics or those that are in Menslit. We see how they become the best in Menslit. To build them, we shape them, and then we give bursaries to tertiary. In tertiary, these are the subjects that they take, your computer science, your engineering, and all that. And after that, we take them to our incubation center. Come and do what you want to do. Because, as you said, we're in the era of fourth industrial revolution, which is nothing else except software development. So we've got to make sure that our people have that capacity to develop softwares that will respond to these machines that will be taking over our jobs. Because it is a threat also that now we're talking of the fourth industrial revolution, these robots will be taking over our jobs. But if we have skilled our people, there's no way the robots will take over our jobs. Well, I see it as maybe the robots will take over some jobs, but maybe those are jobs we don't need to do. But there are a whole host of new opportunities that have come out of this environment that we haven't previously even considered that 
if we've got the right skills in place, that when these opportunities arise, people can take advantage of them. We, we also looked into that. So inspired by that, that you've just said, we then committed that, you know what, we want to build an army for the fourth industrial revolution. We're going to train about one million people in South Africa between 2019 to 2030. That's the target that now you find us going throughout the country outside South Africa to say, how do we partner? with those people that are already there, the likes of about Facebook, Google, because it is them that require these skills. And like I said, because if we are to build a capable army that must respond to the challenges, the ones that we're talking about, people being replaced, it is an army that must have an understanding that I don't need to be employed. I'm going to make myself useful, that it doesn't matter where you are seated, you are in America, you are in Europe, you're going to need my skill if you want to do business in Africa. As we talk about that, then we had to say we have SADC as the region, we have Africa as the continent. How do we then work together through those interministerial platforms? We are a chair now in SADC. We're busy crisscrossing the country, lobbying for Zimbabwe to be in, 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 the, in the bureau. We're being contested, of course. But one thing that we urge all our people in Africa is the fact that we've got to unite as Africans. We've got to be able to say this is what we want for us. Because right now there's still challenges. You find ourselves contesting each other even in the global platforms. You'll find South Africa is contesting for this position. Nigeria will come on the other side. So now it divides what we want to achieve as Africa, which is something we are hoping that as Africa in the will be able to, as the time goes, will be able to, to overcome. Because everybody sees a market in Africa, Dr. Mark. This is the mine. It doesn't matter. It's Chinese that are emerging. All of them want to come here. Now, if we are not ready to work together, as Africans, we're going to miss out. We're going to be colonized again. They're going to deploy their resources together with their personnel. And all we'll be doing is to continue being consumers as we have been. You are completely, completely right. I have to ask, how, what kind of steps are in place to, to build this army? We have started by ensuring, first, within the region, SADC, is to say, how do we make sure that the roaming costs are reduced or taken off completely. So we had our, our regulators who are working on that. Roaming must be taken off, but also the issue of making sure that when I come from Zimbabwe, coming from going to South Africa, Zambia, South Africa, those travel, you know, all those stringent processes, they must be eased because we, we need to be able to trade amongst each other freely without all those unnecessary tariffs and all those. But crucial to that, let's bring skills. As I'm talking to you, I was so impressed when I went to the Silicon Valley. We visited the World Economic Forum, the Fourth Industrial Revolution Council that they've uh, sent time in, that they've established there. Because you know the president has announced that in South Africa we're also going to establish our own commission, the Fourth Industrial Revolution. So we want to learn from other countries. We found Rwandans already there. Right now, Rwandans are the ones that are leading in the manufacturing of drones in Africa. And those other countries are coming because they just see that as the base for them to make money. They are there to say, how can we work together with those that are advanced in policy making? Because whether we like it or not, the Americans, they are leading in the technology and innovation. That's why you find most companies have been bathed in the Silicon Valley and therefore they get and out. It almost becomes this, this nucleus where everything is fostered and everything grows. So if we can establish a center like that, then we can sprout those opportunities, make them homegrown. That's what we're working on. So w when we found the Rwandans, I was like, why must we meet in America? 
why didn't we interact at home so that we jointly say this is what you are good at this is what i'm good at and therefore when we come we come as africa so that they can respect us because now they you know at times we play politics as politicians they would want to use these divisions the fact that we're not talking to others and introduce the story of rwanda to yourselves for their own benefit but nevertheless like i said those are politics but the ma- the crucial matter is that if you you do realize that rwandans are good in that and you have kenyans on the other side you are coming here you have the nigerians who are very good also they focusing more on skilling they trying to overcome South Africa. I'm just saying South Africa because we are in Africa. They're trying to make sure that they are leading. Then what's holding us as the rest of the country to say, I have this capacity in Zambia, therefore we can work together, provide 100 people in this sector. Let's see who has resources. Let's see who has those centers that can provide the skilling. And then we work jointly to, to provide the skilling element to our people of, 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 of the continent. And once we do that, it doesn't matter who comes to invest in our countries, because there will come for investment but they'll be forced to utilize our people not just in terms of them being their workforce but the innovation and the ideas to drive the agenda of those companies in the African manner those are the things that we are saying that I mean that you are building has to respond to so like I said we met group of companies who are willing fortunately they are willing to work with us so ours is to say how do we then go around identify identify and then we take them to to be to be trained so that they can come back and plow I think it is a wonderful wonderful initiative and I, I wish you every success in building that army for advancing Africa as a continental wide strategy and also at the same time helping to empower the people who are currently underserved and are, are really experiencing a lack of, of being able to participate in the economy at scale thank you Dr. Michael of course with your support because you help us reach out to other people and it is only when people hear our stories that they're able to take interest and be able to invest. And and to be frank, although we're sitting here in Johannesburg, our broadcast is through Channel Africa going into the continent. Yes, yes. Today we're talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Telecommunications and Postal Services, Mrs. Stella Tembisa Indabeni Abrahams. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. And additionally, the Deputy Minister's Twitter handle is at Stella Rated. Deputy Minister, now turning towards more of a, a personal perspective, one of the things that I, I find very important to advancing women is about establishing female leadership. It's important to the future of women. It's important to our countries and continents from a, a role modeling point of view, a perspective of, of being able to understand what women's needs are and being able to identify them. And one of the things that I, I, I must say before we continue into that question, which has struck me with our female leaders such as yourself in Parliament, is this holistic view of things of not going, we need internet. So if we get internet, great, but how do we access the content? What are the devices? So your perspective is very, very holistic and thinking of the full solution. So to go back to the question, uh, Malawi and Liberia are, are two countries in Africa's recent history to have had female president. How do you see female leadership in the continent? And do you think more countries are ready for a woman president? There is no country that is not ready for a female president. There's one thing that I, I always tell people talk, that women by birth are born leaders. 
the role that we play at home definitely tells you the fact that as a young girl in Africa, at the age of 18, you can get married to a 35-year-old and you guide him, you feed him, you show him how to build a home. That's leadership on its own. All we are now advancing is to say, well, how do you build on that experience that you have and that leadership you are born with as a woman to make sure that you get exposure, you get to be empowered, to be relevant in the different sectors that we have? Because whether we like it or not, the world is moving in a way that needs people who are capable in terms of qualifications, but not just qualifications without knowledge. We're trying to build that knowledge economy whereby people must have information on the, fi- on the tips of their fingers. The only way for women to succeed, therefore, is when they make themselves, themselves relevant. I always say you must always strive to be the beacon of hope wherever you are. They must know even if you are not going to solve their challenge, but will provide information that will help them to be able to overcome the challenge that they're facing. And the only way to do that is empower yourself with education. Even when you have studied, I always make this example, the degree that you received in 2015 is no longer relevant in 2018. Things change like that. So even if you went to school, you are a doctor of this industry, but you keep on engaging with the readings of every day, the things that are relevant to your sector so that you know that you are updated at all times. Right now, as we mentioned, we're driving the fourth industrial revolution. What will our skills that we have as women provide to show leadership that, like I said, from birth, when we are born, we have to take care of our families. How do we make sure that we bring that to the work environment in order to make sure that everybody feels comfortable like we do in our homes? And the only way is when we have women networking platforms whereby we work together as women to support each other, not to compete against each other. Because that's another challenge because that's how the society has taught us to say, I'm good, I'm better because I have this degree in my village. I'm the only thing that is happening. Instead of saying, if I went to school and then I know that I'm a teacher, I do need a doctor, by the way, because my children are going to be sick. I do need somebody to provide food, that agricultural person. How do we make sure that all the skills that we have by birth, as I said, we then work towards ensuring that because I won't be a master of everything. I need others. How do I network with the right people to shape me because when I interact with you and interact with another person with another skill, it helps me, it broadens my thinking and therefore when it broadens my thinking, I'm able to be innovative in my own area to say, oh we are talking of these machines so these children that are busy with computers, they're busy on coding they don't like talking to, uh, to each other how do I introduce the human element on it? Definitely you need somebody who has studied whatever psychology on anything that is related to that linking all of these developments that are, ha- are happening with the relevant education and information that is mm-hmm. out there. So for me, education and networking. But beyond that, the will to learn. Because you might have all the right people around you, but if you think you are the best, I know it all. You can't learn anything. You won't improve and you won't gain more knowledge in what you want to achieve. In the segment of the conversation, you've spoken a lot about education. And on this program, we are avid supporters of education as being a key tool to empower women to advance and achieve success. You are currently enrolled for a master's in ICT policy regulation management at Wits University. You hold a 
Commonwealth Telecommunications Organization Diploma in Telecommunications and Management Systems, a Certificate in Telecommunications or Policy and Regulation Management, an Advanced Certificate in Program Management, all of this as key skills to, to contribute to your development. Uh, as I said, education is a skill. It's a resource which helps women's empowerment and the betterment of their lives and their families. How has education impacted on your life? To start with, talk, when I grew up, I, I came from a very poor family. I couldn't have money to go to tertiary. So, of course, after matric, the only thing I had to do was to get to volunteer for the ANC. I've got to be involved in school governing bodies. But that helped me because, as I said, if I'm involved in street committees, if I'm involved in school governing bodies, I get to learn how the education sector functions. Th that's the person I am. So it is true that education that I have not formally gone to attend, that I managed to get more information that has shaped me. The minute I got my first job, I, wa I was an administrator. So the first thing I did was like, sure, there are other people here. They are earning more than me and all that. And I make sure that I learn what they're doing. My IT guy used to laugh at the fact that I would be like, if you have done it, if you have done a design, I'm not going to sleep, I'm going to do it today, although I've not studied graphic design. But it lent me, it taught me one thing that you might have the know-how at times because there are people you're learning by doing, but you do need those that must then shape your thinking, the theories that are applied, the methodology of how to make sure that you get yourself a proper uh, or a, a quality product of what you want to do. So that's why I had to be inspired in terms of going for program management. One thing that I liked about it, I always tell my officials in the department in the office if you are employed as an administrator it doesn't mean that you must die an administrator take interest in learning everything and that's what project management and program management teach you because it doesn't matter if you're going to have a builder a finance you are responsible for the overall project you've got to have an understanding of what happens so i think it also helped me i had my boss who also shaped me uh, Mr. Andrew Murray, who advised me to go for that, for that. It was Andrew Murray and Zolisa Kabadia, whom I was colleague with Zolis. So they helped me to go for that one. And it really helped me. Of course, after that now, you come to Parliament, because now when I left my organization, I was already a project manager. I'm able to interact with policymakers, with people who do work on the ground, with those that want to do work, so that I'm able to come up with a proper, uh, proper product. So as I go to Parliament, I come, how do I make a law? But the good thing is that because, as I said, I'm this curious person by nature. I want to know everything. If I go to radio, okay, who's the presenter? And the, I'm curious, I'm curious. I want to know a lot. So the minute I go there, the first thing I had to was to make sure that I go to these old people because I went to defense. I'm like, I've never been a soldier. They must tell me how it's done. And therefore the challenges that are there. So that's how I learned. And I was like, even when I got that knowledge, when I went to communication, I was like, I've got to get the academic understanding because things are done in a systematic way. You can be good, but if you don't understand how the system works, that knowledge does not help. So for me, education is very crucial into, into growing effective leadership not just leadership but effective one because like i said as we are leaders in different sectors and all that you must have that legacy not that because it's the youth month but you must always strive to make sure that by the time you left that organization everybody gets to feel the gap that indeed you made your mark so it helps you to be able to fit in it helps you to think broadly like i said earlier so for me education is a key driver and if I look at 
your story. You said that you grew up in a village, poverty. You have now, in your 41-year journey, become, well, you became Deputy Minister several years ago, but you are, are right at the top in, in terms of this, this transition of moving from one area of your life through to another. And it really demonstrates that it, it doesn't matter where you start out, that if you've got the mindset, the willpower, the, the support, you truly can be whatever you want to be. That's true, Dr. You, you, you don't have to be big to be the best. And, and don't put limitations. You can't. So next, what I'd, I'd like to ask you, and it's a, a question that I ask all my guests on the show who have achieved tremendous success in their various fields of, of work, or industry, government, academia, wh whatever it may be, and that is about some of the factors that they consider to have contributed to their success. So some people speak about perseverance, hard work, uh, a particular person in their life. Could you share with us what you think have been some of the key drivers to your success? The support that I got from people is one thing that helped me. Uh, of course, God, because I'm this person that always says there's nothing I can't do as long as I'm with God. I'm, I'm a Christian believer, so it helps me even when I come across challenges in my area of work. I'm like, hey, 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 you're not going to succeed. So it helps me to, to come up with things on how to, to, to overcome the challenges. The, the third one, like I said, I'm, I'm a very curious person. But you can be curious, but if when you knock on the people's doors to help you, you don't get that information, knowledge, then still your curiosity doesn't assist. So it has been the support structure that has been there. Like I said, from part, even when I started working, as I made an example in my organization, the communities that I work with in a village, a child belongs to everyone. That support, that at least one thing that God blessed me with is the ability to be able to communicate with a young person there and an old person up there and they still feel comfortable. You, you, you know, uh, I remember at some point when President Beggy was still president, so we were preparing for this event that he was coming to. So we, I was still in the youth league. I get invited by the provincial sector of the institute to be part and people, old people, they were like, no, 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 no you can't undermine us and all that. But because of the efforts that we put and those that are in leadership that see the need to groom young people. Of course, you, it's the, a succession then, plan. That provincial sector was like, no, these are the people that I'm going to be with. So when President Beggy came, he was confused himself for this, normally meets with old people. But then from that, it gives you confidence. I sat with this leader, I'm able to interact, and it boosts your, your, your confidence. That's why I'm saying that ability to be able to talk to anyone anytime, that ability that says, okay, I'm going to express my voice because that's another thing you can have all these things but if you do not know how to express yourself then you, you, you're not gonna win that i that says it doesn't matter if it's if the majority does it but if i don't believe in it if i don't see that it is right i've got to make sure that this is wrong if you want to remove me in your position do so that's one of the things being me without the position because one of the things that is a challenge is when we get to where these positions. I'm a deputy minister, therefore this is how people must see me. I'm a deputy minister, therefore if the president says this, and then it goes. I'm a PC spokesperson in the Eastern Cape, therefore if the chairperson says this, it goes. Without you making your own voice, even if you say this, Mr. President, don't you think 
if we take this approach, it will help us help the country to take this. I'm, I'm that kind of a person. That's it's, it's contributing to value as opposed to just being a puppet. Th- th- that's what I always say. So it's one thing that, that, that I've been given that opportunity to express myself. It has helped me grow. Because if you're not given an opportunity, because also, like I said, it depends on the people you interact with. Will they be willing to listen to you? Because if they don't give you that space, you don't have that opportunity. So it is that support that even when you meet a hostile environment, you're like, eh, it's fine. These are the things that I'm used at. So it's that that has helped me become the better person that I think I am. I always tell people who might think I'm not better, but from where I come from, I'm like, I'm a better person. And have there been any strong women in your life? Definitely. There's this woman that I admire. Every time I see a conference or a seminar she's invited to, I'm like, I'm going to confirm if, if I'm invited, I try to find ways. Mam Pumzele Oh, yes. Has been one of the role models. But fortunately, when I was growing up, when I was volunteer, I had Mrs. Nomsa Chachola, who was a very strict person everybody was scared of. She was a sharp politician who understood content and all that. And people couldn't understand how I relate with her because everybody wanted to go away from her. And I was the only one that understood how she does things. So she has helped me grow. You, you, you see, you're going to go there. Make sure you don't embarrass us. You must know your game. You're not going to embarrass me because you'll be associated. That has helped me to say, when I step out of my house, I'm not representing myself. I'm representing my family first. So anything that I do at workplace reflects on my family. Anything that I do outside workplace, I represent South Africa and the ANC. So at all times, I must strive to make sure that I excel in what I do so that they take pride in me. And have there been any significant moments in your life growing up that you can share with us to, that shaped you into becoming who you are today? Sure. <laughs> there has been lots of those. Like I said, I come from a poor village. I always brag about the fact that I come from the same village like Nelson Mandela. So I would tell people after him, I'm the first person that got elected to the National Working Committee of the Youth League. That was a milestone because it just didn't happen to anyone then. And after that, you go to Parliament at my age. It didn't happen. That that was a, a huge milestone to say, wow, South Africans and the people of the Ains have that confidence in me that I, I can go and represent them there. But most importantly, when you are able to assist a child that was poor like you and then she calls you to say thank you sis now I graduated on my honors I'm like wow so now as I grow because of my background I've made it my responsibility to assist where I can assist okay come guys let's look of course I don't have money I knock on the doors and all that but that story that they finish because most girls they do not get to go to the finishing end so it makes me a proud mother I have in my village I've produced two now that already I mean, I, I, it's something that I brag about I tell my children if you don't want to go to school there are children that can confess that I did something good out of their lives taking them to the finishing line and but I must, the last must feel so one proud dark is when I got an invite to the Oxford Institute for Internet they normally identify 30 international leaders to go for a particular course and this year I made it Oh, congratulations. Thank you, God. Thank you, sis. Thank you. So it's something because, as I said, I believe in learning. 
So I'll be exposed to other that they think they are best. And then I'll be learning and coming just that experience and that learning here at home. And feeding it back into our market. That'll be fantastic. Now, lastly, we are unfortunately running out of time. Can I please ask you, as we close out the conversation today, to share a few words of wisdom, inspiration, particularly in this youth month for our young ladies that are, are listening to us on the continent? All I can say is that young sisters, young ladies, wherever you are, you just know that you are the leader. You just know that you are a winner. Just know one thing that in your veins run the blood that ran through Winnie Mandela's and Nelson Mandela's veins. You are a conqueror. Whatever challenge, go out there and make sure that you seek support from other people. Talk to us. Uh, Dr. Malika has already told you we are on Twitter, on Facebook. Make sure you reach out if you feel like I'm in a situation that I can't get myself out of. There is nothing that you can't defeat. But most importantly, make sure that you remain the best wherever you are. It doesn't matter if you're a cleaner. Make sure that if you didn't come to clean, they will be asking and wondering where you are because they fit it in their offices. Never strive for things that you think you can reach. Make sure everything is within your reach. Being within your reach is that you will learn about anything and everything. Like I said earlier, you don't have to be big to be the best. Be the legacy that you want to be. They walked the path. They died. They got into prison for us. But here we are. We don't have to go to jail. All we have to do is to build on the work that they started for us. And the only way, like I said, empower yourself with knowledge and information everywhere you can go to my post office you can go to the internet if you want websites you can go everywhere there is information and like i said as the NC government we are here to assist all thank you so much for that wonderfully uplifting inspiring message of being the legacy that you can be it was a real pleasure having you on our show today and we wish you every success in the next leg of your journey. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Dr. Malka, and thank you to the listeners wherever you are. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, and we have been talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Telecommunications and Postal Services, Mrs. Stella Tembisa Ndabeni Abrams.